been a number of weeks. We were interrupted by a couple of weeks of necessary meetings. And so I did tell you, but when we took our break, that as we get back together, we're going to start looking at the life of Job. And I say the life of Job rather than the book of Job because we're not going to be dealing with Job like a, a Bible study of the book of Job. We're going to look at his life. We're going to look at his relationship with God, with his relationship with his friends, and how God shows up to rescue and redeem Job. Why? Because it fits so absolutely perfectly into this framework that I have been reminding us of every time we've met as we deal with this issue of God in the midst of our suffering. And I do want to take just a few moments to remind us of this so that we're still, we still have that framework intact to know what we're after. Because it's so critical in this life that we understand not only the reality and accept the reality, I didn't say desire the reality, but accept the reality that in this life, there is no way around suffering. And so what is absolutely, infinitely important is to learn how to turn to God, how to cling to God, how to wait for God, how to speak to God in the midst of times of suffering. And that framework that we started with is this. If you look at the whole history of God and His people from creation all the way to revelation, it is the journey of a fall from intimacy to a return to intimacy. That's the entire journey spelled out very simply. We had it good in the garden. We had it perfect in the garden because God just capture even this thought forget just creating the world I'll let my bride sit down she's a birthday I know God not only created the world and placed man in it do you understand that he created the entire universe every star Spinning it at every proper angle. Everything in perfect posture and place and order, working a certain way, and at the crown of all his creation was what? Man. And so God places man in the garden with one reason only He created man to share himself with man. That mankind would be the recipient of all that God is. We know the story of the fall. We remember it. We fell. We fell by our will, which is critically important in life and salvation because God created us in His image. And part of that image is, just like God has a will, He gave us one. Okay? And so we find ourselves, while we are in the return to intimacy, journeying in what we call the wilderness. That's this life. And in the wilderness, there are going to be peaks and valleys. There are going to be incredible joys, elating joys. And there's going to be the depth of such suffering that every person will deal with. And God knows we look at some more than others. But you know what I try never to do? Try to compare the sufferings of people. Never. I don't care what's happened to this person and not happened to this person. Suffering is suffering. Okay? 
But here we find ourselves in this wilderness where we are going to have those times of suffering. But understand this. The entire journey from fall to revelation. In fact, I would even say the entire journey from fall to the incarnation to revelation. Here we are in this wilderness. And beyond the incarnation, we still exist in a wilderness where there's going to be suffering. And so God is at work in our joys. And He is incredibly at work in our sufferings. He does not create suffering. I said He's at work in our sufferings. Why? Because He will use everything in the, in the fall, uh, all the results of the fall. He will take any of it and all of it and use it and turn it to redemption. And suffering is a result of the fall. This God has such incredible desire to return you to intimacy with Him that He will even step into the most horrendous sufferings and turn it into redemption. For each and every one of those who are in Him and filled with Him. And that's what we're looking for because just as we found in the Psalms, we're always looking in the midst of our suffering. We say it this way. We're looking for God to show up. And again, I want to qualify that by saying what we're really saying is we're ready for our eyes to be open to His presence that's already with us. Because that's what really happens. God doesn't distance Himself and then return. Now we play the game of life like He does based on our feelings. But the reality is that God has filled every tabernacle that I'm looking at. And there is never a time He's less full in us than others. The question is our attentiveness to the God who is always within us. That's why He steps into suffering. In suffering, let's be quite honest with ourselves. We've talked about this before. Uh, In suffering, He actually has the best chance to capture our attention. Because in all other times, we get puffed up or we get distracted or whatever you want to call it. Things are going very well. We lose our sense of desperation, our sense of absolute need. And by the way, in times of joy and suffering, there's no difference in the amount of need we have for the God who still us. Right? And yet He steps into our suffering and He wants to use it to redeem us. And we look for Him to reveal Himself in the midst of suffering so that as the psalm says, Show us, Lord, the light of Your countenance. In other words, show yourself to us. And we shall be made what? Remember what it says? And we shall be made whole. And there's our salvation. There's the intimacy. Being made whole again. Our return to this. That's what Christ came for. The narrative of Job is about as perfect an example in Scripture as you are going to find of what we have on the board here. It's a perfect example. I want you to think about this. And what we're going to cover today, by the way, is simply the story arc of Job. Okay? From here, we will then get into, we're not going to go through the whole book, but we're going to look at Job's lament. We're going to look at his friends that come to him and try to come to his aid in the midst of all of his suffering. We're going to look at his continuing changing lament over time. Why? Because if you look at Job's lament, that's how we all lament. But Job's story follows this. I want you to see this. When you look at the beginning of Job, 
what you see is an introduction to a life that is utmost blessed. Job is considered a great man of faith by God Himself. And because of this, God has stretched out and blessed this man's life. What's Job living in? He's living in a garden. He's living in a paradise, so to speak. If you can put that in this world post-fall, he's got about all you can get towards that. Okay. Then what happens in the book of Job? Satan has counsel in a meeting with God. And Satan comes to God and says, he only has faith because of this Torah obedience model. Remember what that is? If we obey God, our lives are what? Blessed. If we disobey God, right? He comes in and disciplines. That's the model of the Torah obedience. And it's not wrong. Remember we talked about that Torah obedience model is for spiritual children. We begin learning the value of following God and the blessedness of it and the discipline of the Father when we go away because like a shepherd with sheep that he loves, he stretches forth his crook. Right? Or else they'll die. Okay? So Job is in this model. So are his friends. And Satan says the only way, that, the only reason he's so faithful to you, God, is because you blessed him. Take away the blessings, let suffering come into this man's life, and he will reject you. So what happened? Satan entered into paradise. Did that happen in the garden? Do you really think that Satan snuck into the garden without God knowing about it? No. You know, sometimes we pretend that, though. God allowed Satan in the garden. God also put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Man's will was put in the measure, right? God knew. Now, unlike Adam and Eve, Job did not sin. I want to be clear about that. But what I want you to see the parallel of is that Satan enters into this paradise garden scene that Job was living. And he starts wreaking havoc. How many of you remember all that Job lost? What did Job lose? You could say everything, but what kind of things did Job lose? What was his fall from paradise, so to speak? He lost his children. All of his uh, animal possessions. His servants. Yep. His servants. Huh? Peace in his marriage. Peace in his marriage. He ends up losing his own health. Just about everything that can go wrong. Right? Job might as well have been named Matthew. Right? Everything. And so what happens? This garden existence causes a bit of a fall in the life of Job. And so what does Job do? He laments. You know, you know what his first laments are? He starts, the confusion starts building in him. Wait a minute, Lord. I've been faithful. I haven't fallen from you. I haven't rejected you. I've tried to keep your commandments. So there's confusion. Because what in this equation, what is that supposed to equal? The blessedness that he'd been in. But all of a sudden, not from a change of him. But that whole dynamic, in fact, that whole equation is about to change on Job. And so what does Job begin doing? Lamenting. 
lamenting. And in fact, he comes to an end of his lament. Literally, he is brought to the end of himself. And right then, and only then, God reveals himself. God shows up on the scene, and we see that. Okay? And not only does Job receive the, Job receive the revelation of God, it so impacts his life that he immediately goes to repentance. He even repents over the parts of his lament that were in error. Folks, this is something we find in our Christian life. I'm going to say this again and again and again. It's okay to lament in error. Because all lamenting is a clinging on to God for dear life. Doesn't matter how we're lamenting. Now I pray in maturity as God continues to reveal Himself to us time and time again that even our lament matures. But I'm telling you, and I want you to hear this, coming against God with your lack of understanding, coming against God with how can this be, coming against God, not against God, coming to God with your anger that wells up from the pain is appropriate lamenting. Why do I say that? Because I know God well enough to know that He has every means within His hands to reveal Himself to you in such a way that it changes the things that are wrong. Just don't let go. You see? Don't stop lamenting. And when God shows up and Job laments... We hear those beautiful words that I still have trouble saying out loud because it's something that in me my heart so desires, and it's this. He looks at the one who'd revealed himself to him, and he said, My ears had heard you, but now my eyes know you. Through all the suffering, God gives Job the greatest gift And that is the gift of himself. And now Job has grown to see that God is far more than the Torah obedience equations. Where he started as a spiritual child, so to speak. Where Adam and Eve started. You recognize Adam and Eve started there. God puts them in charge of the whole garden. The whole paradise. But he gives them a couple of rules, doesn't he? If you do this, it's going to be bad. Right? Don't do this. You've got paradise right here. Is that not Torah obedience model? It's not a bad thing, is it? It's a loving father. But Job finally sees God as far more than just that. And so we hope we do as well. And so the writing and outline of Job. Now I gave you this handout. Now I want you to look at it for just a second because I will never refer to it again. But why do I give it to you? I do hope that you read the book of Job. Because the book of Job is written like a, like a divine play. When you look at the literature style in which it is written, it begins, and I copied this off of a website that was a very, very good outline showing you the scriptures at each part of the play, so to speak. But it begins with a prologue in the first two chapters, at least through chapter 10 of verse 2, the setting of the scene, the heavenly council, Satan's trial, the stakes are raised. It gives you all of that. And then around verse, excuse me, around chapter 3, and all the way through 42, note something. It's about Job's dialogues back and forth with his friends. 
Now I want to tell you about Job's friends real quick. Job's friends are right here. They are Torah obedience friends. And that's the way that they deal with Job. Are they bad? No. It's just that their understanding of God is locked here. And so when they look at Job, they know that their friend is a righteous and faithful man. And all of a sudden they see him suffering. So what conclusions do they start going to? Job. If the model is this, if you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're disciplined. You must have what? You've done something wrong. I encountered a Job's friend who loved me dearly, even though he had just come uh, months before to the, my first associate pastor uh, position that I had was in a church in Huntsville. And I'm telling you, to this day, I've never had such a throat infection as I developed during one week. I had fever. I had literally blisters going all the way down my throat to where every, it, just swallowing the saliva felt like glass going down. Well, this friend knew that I was sick. They'd announced it at church. So he rang me up midweek. Now I'm sitting there with a fever, I can barely talk. So I want you to understand my voice was really gruff. So he calls me up and uh, you know said hi and he said we talked a little bit but then he said ultimately said have you considered that this may be a result of some sin in your life? <laughs> That's nothing but this. He's not being mean. My response is so why aren't you sick? <laughs> I sounded awful when I said that. I wanted to laugh after I said it, but that was going to hurt me more than anything. And not to laugh and make fun. I caught this blessed person next Sunday because I had healed, which means I must have been obedient between Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> and I went up to this friend and I said, listen, I know I sounded harsh. I really wasn't intending to. you got to understand, blisters all down my throat. So we've got to be careful that we don't come and lock God into something. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I do believe that continuous unrepentant sin can take its toll on the body and can cause illness. That's not the question. Okay? But just because I got a virus. Okay? But this is where he was. And by the way, that's where Job's friends are. That's where Job's friends are. And you see their friends' names, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophor, and, you know, throw out a little humor, you know, with his friends, Zophar, not so good. You know, but that's uh, beside the... Yeah, talk amongst yourselves on that one. But truly, um, they're actually befriending Job. But the, here's the problem. They're befriend... Stop. <laughs> well, thank you very much. God bless you. But the reality is, they are—they literally are being the best friends they can be under their only understanding of God. Let's let's not be hard on them. They hadn't had yet the revelation that Job was going to receive. 
But it does cause Job a struggle because he himself is in the confusion of, but Lord, I have been, I have been, I have been, and I don't understand this. And yet all this pain is coming upon me. So when we look at the book of Job, what I want to cover today in our last 15 minutes is this. I want you to see some subject matter that is covered in the book of Job. And first, it has to do with Job himself. Then we'll look at God. What, what comes about in this book. First of all, we said it before, Job has everything. Job loses everything, save one thing, ultimately his own life. Okay? But he loses everything, which puts him into incredible suffering. You know, it's hard sometimes. We say, somebody mentioned when I asked what all did Job lose, and somebody said children. And we move by that. We have people in our parish that have lost their children. I've watched that pain. I can't even fathom the pain of losing a child and what we go through. So let's not breeze by those things ever so quickly when we hear that Job lost his children. Okay? Job suffered greatly. Greatly. The second thing that you're going to see in the book of Job is this idea of an authentic relationship with God. An authentic relationship with God. Just like so many of the laments offered up in Scripture, Job displays and he speaks a brutal honesty, both back to God in his lament, and he also speaks it to his friends as he would go round and round with them. Part of his lament was his fellowship with his friends. Okay, And he's brutally honest with them. But you can hear Job almost scream against all of that because Job had lived a faithful life and it was taken away. He's screamed, that screaming though, I want to tell you, that, that great lament of lack of understanding and pain, that screaming in Job is a longing to understand God. I don't understand And I'm not letting go until you tell me. You see that? That's the one who holds on to God in the midst of suffering. I don't understand, but I am hanging on and I will not leave until you give me an answer. Hmm? This is Job. Because this God has to be more than this Torah obedience that I've known so far. This God has to be more than this. And the God that is more than this is the only one that can rescue me. Is the only one that can come to me. Michael Card in his book, A Sacred Sorrow, many of you I know have. I want to read a quote to you from him. Perfectly puts this. He says, one of the most truly exciting prospects of reading the book is witnessing Job's already close relationship. Job didn't start from nothing. He was a faithful man in the eyes of God. Okay? Witnessing Job's already close relationship being stretched and in the process becoming even deeper and more personal through the process of wrestling with God. Jacob wrestled with God physically, didn't he? We get that image. But always remember something. God was very present, but how did Jacob walk away? Limping for the rest of his life. 
We don't ditch the scars of our woundedness. The scars don't go away, but the God of redemption steps in and reveals himself, and the scars become a living testimony to the reality of the healer. Did you hear that? We will walk as we suffer. We will go from that suffering, even with God showing up. We will go with scars left over that testify that God showed up. And look at what he did. What do we see in Jesus Christ in the heavenlies? What we're going to see him as he was, as a lamb that was slain. His scars from his suffering, are they gone? Why would ours be? Right? And so we're going to have that theme of a moving towards, ever moving towards a more authentic relationship with God. And that happens in the midst of all human suffering for those that cling to God and remain in Him. Okay? The third thing, you're going to see, and I love this word, is very important, from Job, faithful prayers of protest. And that's that lament I was telling you about, that even when Job is angry in his lack of understanding, in the midst of his severe pain, and he's dashing against God, what's the key? He's still dashing against God. The prayers are faithful prayers of protest. And the final theme on on Job's part that you see throughout, actually this one covers from beginning to end, we see this evolve, is that Job is going to move from I in his language to thou. He's going to move from I to thou. What do I mean by that? You and I know if we're honest with ourselves that when we enter into suffering, the word I is in our minds probably more than thou is. I don't understand why this has happened to me. I have done this. Here's Job. I have done this. I've been faithful. I have tried to be I, I. Do you hear all of them? And isn't this the way that our natural mind really starts when suffering hits? Now again, granted, as we continue to mature in Christ, that probably diminishes. But let's just keep it real and honest for where we are right now. I don't get it. I am suffering. Right? What happens when God shows up and reveals himself to Job? The eye just went out the window. And all Job can say is, Thou, I see you. You, Thou, O God, I place my hand over my mouth. Why? Because when we see God clearly for who he is, It brings repentance and the humility that brings peace and salvation to the mind, soul, and body. Right? And so we see Job is going to move through this experience of immense suffering. I pray never befalls any of us. He's going to move from I to thou in his life. And it's a blessed thing. On God's side, remember that word hesed. My throat is dry. I can't do it. 
real well. It's chesed, right? I told you sometimes you see a C before it in its Hebrew spelling, but it's chesed. And chesed, the chesed of God, is going to come into question by Job. But let's remember, so that you understand that, what the chesed is. The umbrella meaning of the, of the word chesed is the loving kindness of God. Okay? But under that umbrella, you might as well throw the words in because it's, it's like a tapestry of, of revelation of who God is in that word chesed. Because underneath the, the loving kindness, God is mercy. God is faithfulness. God is kindness. God is loyal. God is steadfast. God is long-suffering. All of those fall under the word said. And what's going to happen? I understood this. I've been obedient. And yet, there's, I feel like I'm being disciplined. Everything's taken away. I'm suffering. How can you be this? Job is going to question the loving kindness of God because of his understanding of the loving kindness of God. How can I say that? I can say that because I've read the whole book of Job. And on the other side of all the suffering, what God did in the midst of it by the allowance of all of this, Job would never hand back to God and say, I wish I never went through it. Because now he understands the loving kindness of God that just will forever infiltrate his heart and mind at what God, who God is and what God has done. But that has said is going to be questioned and we question it in our suffering, if we're honest. God is not just, I've done right and well and yet this is happening to me. Shows right there, you might as well stop. Because you do not have a full understanding of the loving kindness and the mercy of God. Because it would take Job, for whatever reasons in Job, going through all of this to have fertile soil in him to receive the revelation of God for who he is that would keep him for eternity. You see? So we're going to see that lastly. I love this. The idea of presence. The presence of God with Job as he reveals himself. It is the presence of God. It was God showing the light of his countenance, like we talked about in the psalm. It is the very presence of God given to Job. That is the critical factor and the most important thing in this whole picture. And I want to give you an idea of what that means. Michael Card gives a story, I think, that paints the picture perfectly, but we all know people who have gone through things like this. A good friend of his, who was a teacher at a university, had been diagnosed with what would become bone cancer. Now, you know that bone cancer is one of the most incredibly painful cancers that you can get. And here is this man who still has a family of teenagers. Okay? And he's in the hospital and he's going through surgeries. He's going through treatment. And he's going through excruciating pain. And in that hospital, 
somewhere along the line in that journey of pain and suffering that was coming from this incredible illness, God shows up. He is so incredibly present with this man in the room for days and days and days. I want you to hear the statement of this man. Remember, this is probably going to be deadly. And it's going to be agonizing until then. And what are the words that come out of his mouth after that experience? Lord, I do not care about the pain. I do not care about the suffering. And I do not care if I live or if I die. Just don't let your presence leave me. The presence of God as a gift to the man was so profound and so real that the suffering became irrelevant. I don't care if I suffer. And I don't care if you save me from death. Just don't leave me. You see that? And I would put it to you that you and I, all of us, we will know that we have really started to arrive at the intimacy that God desires with and for His people as He shares Himself, we will know that when we can make that statement. I know Emmanuel, God with us. I don't care about anything else. Just don't leave me. That's where we're going. Does that make sense? Now, as we continue on and we start looking at Job and we look at his laments, there's going to be more discussion where I want you to think about your own lives and I want you to think about your own laments. We've all done beautifully and ugly at times, right? It's the truth. But I want you to think about them and let's try to learn from Job's life how to lament before God. Why? To the end that his presence is revealed. And we grow ever so much more in our faith through that process because that's how God redeems suffering. Let's stand.